We are delighted that you've joined us for an hour of inspirational music on Songs of Praise. Oh
For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 96 verse 4.
has numbered every grain of sand. Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God, seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore him. given counsel to the Lord, who can question any of his words, who can teach the one who knows all things, who can fathom all his wondrous deeds, behold our Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him.
Stay tuned to 3ABN Australia Radio for more inspirational music. You have searched me, you have known me, you're acquainted with my ways. You have laid your hand upon me, heard my thoughts from
faithful unto death and you shall receive oh yes you shall receive oh be thou faithful unto death and you shall receive oh yes you shall receive a crown of
my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thy night of My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me?
This is Songs of Praise, a message in music to draw you closer to God.
Look on this mystery, the Lord of the universe, nailed to a tree. Christ our God, spilling His holy blood, bowing in anguish, His sacred head. Sing to Jesus, Lord of our shame. Is the 
Songs of Praise is a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Join us next time for more inspirational music. Today in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand, 
by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Amazing Facts. In our last episode, Elwyn is telling the story of the terrible struggle his little two-year-old son Leon is having in hospital after accidentally swallowing some walnuts that were now lodged in his lungs. Believing that his son was soon to die, he hurries to the waiting room where his wife is waiting. Continuing chapter 7, A Son on the Altar. Hurrying to the waiting room, I found my wife and her friend Edna. As soon as they saw me, they said, Has Leon gone? No, but it will be any minute now. I asked them to come with me. I had no idea where I was going, but I just wanted to pray. It was a cold winter night, and in the dark shadows of that great hospital, I prayed again. As we were still bowed, it seemed as though a bright light shone upon us. I felt impressed to ask just once more, Dear Master, if it can be for Leon's good and for the good of thy cause, then please put thy hand upon him. We returned to the waiting room and waited and waited. Eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, one o'clock, then two o'clock, and still we hadn't been called. When we could bear it no longer, I left the waiting room and returned to the ward. Before I got to the door of Leon's ward, I was met by the nurse who had gone off duty at 10 p.m. In her hand, she had a handkerchief that she had torn to ribbons. As soon as she saw me, she said, Mr. Martin, he's coming through, he's coming through. She then told me that she had gone to her room but couldn't get Leon out of her mind, so returned to the ward. At about 11 p.m., his temperature, which had been alarmingly high, dropped to normal and the discharge stopped as though it had been cut off by a valve. Since then, he had been breathing peacefully in sound sleep. When I saw Leon, it was through tear-dimmed eyes, but now not tears of sadness, for there he was, sound asleep with no sign of the discharge. We learned later that a special prayer season had been called that night in the Avondale Village Church. And no doubt the God of heaven came very near those dear praying ones. I am convinced that the Master let me go through the same experience as Abraham of old when he said, Abraham, take now thy son, thy only son. Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2. I know I had been too selfish in praying that Leon would be healed. And it was not until I made the sacrifice, saying, Father, take him quickly. Please do not let him fight any longer, that the Lord chose to intervene. The specialist saw Leon the next morning and then told me, Mr. Martin, don't get excited, for this is only one of the strange phenomena that happen in the medical world. He told me he was taking Leon back to the operating room to remove the tube but said he could see no point in stitching up the wound as it could be only hours till the lung abscess would erupt again. I endeavoured to assure the specialist that it would not erupt again 
and that Leon had been touched by the hand of the great physician who had never lost a case. The specialist never sent me a bill for all those operations. When I asked for one, I was told that no statement would be issued. Leon has scarcely had a day's sickness from that day to this. Today he is a busy doctor with a large practice in the outskirts of Sydney, New South Wales. Chapter 8. It Must Have Been an Angel When Alma and I and the children returned to mission service following World War II, we were assigned to the Vailala district in Papua. As I have already related in the first chapter, our arrival coincided with extremely high seas. While my family remained in Port Moresby, I went on by motor barge, courtesy of the Australian Petroleum Company, trying to reach the mouth of the Vailala River. Only God's providence saved me when the barge capsized at the Vailala Bar. At length my family rejoined me at the Vailala Mission Station and we began our service for the Master. A few months after our arrival, our food supplies were running desperately low. The southeast season seemed to be at its worst. On the coast of western Papua, boats were sheltering in the only haven as the seas crashed on the shoreline. We had anxiously waited for a six-month grocery order from Sydney, Australia. In those days, we received mail only about every four to six weeks. When goods were cleared through customs in Port Moresby, they were then brought by coastal trading boats to a landing place about five miles from our mission station, which was 150 miles northwest of Port Moresby. In order to reach the landing place known as Myra Coconut Plantation, coastal boats had to cross the notorious Vailala River Bar. There was a lull in the weather and one coastal boat was able to cross the bar. We rejoiced for soon we would be enjoying good meals again, including fresh homemade bread. We had been out of flour for weeks, but our rejoicing was short-lived. A shipping strike had prevented our grocery orders being shipped from Sydney. We had no alternative but to order supplies from Port Moresby. However, there was one glimmer of hope. Another coastal boat was to call in two weeks at the next King Tide to catch up on the backlog of copra waiting to be shipped from Myra Plantation. Many prayers ascended to heaven as we tried to stretch our meagre supplies, supplementing them with local foods, which we still found unpalatable. Two weeks went by, but on each day of those two weeks the sea seemed to increase its fury. No boats ventured out of their protecting harbours. This meant that it would be at least two more weeks before another boat could come, weather permitting. Our concern increased as we saw our children, now four in number, rapidly losing weight, for their stomachs could not digest the native foods. By the time the next coastal boat was due, we were down to two tins of food, a one-pound tin each of cauliflower and marmalade jam. Seas were still rough, 
but perhaps had abated a little, so I summoned the national teachers on the mission station to my house on Thursday evening for a prayer season. They already knew of our desperate plight. Earnest prayers ascended that night, for we knew that our extremity is God's opportunity. We retired that night with the assurance that our prayers were soon to be answered. For the next three days, favourable high tides were due. The next morning, Friday, excitement mounted, for a runner came through from the coast to tell us that a coastal boat was approaching the Vailala Bar. Our mission station was about five miles inland from the Myra Plantation and the same distance from the coast. I left our mission station immediately with 12 stalwart students to walk one and a half hours to the landing at Myra Plantation. Our pathway through the heavy jungle was a single file track, but the boys would be able to carry sufficient food for Sabbath. We were somewhat disappointed that the boat had not yet reached the landing place. We sat down to wait. We waited and waited while the hours slipped slowly by. Then another runner came through to say that the seas were too rough for the boat to cross the bar and that it had apparently returned to Yule Island, which was several hours away and the only real shelter on that stretch of coastal line. As we turned with heavy hearts to walk back, I suggested that we should kneel right there in that jungle setting and acknowledge that we would still trust him although we could not understand. Rising from our knees, the plantation manager met us, a fine man, to whom I had given two sheets of arc mesh some weeks before for the purpose of making a fish trap. I paused for a moment to greet him and to ask whether the fish trap was a success. The plantation manager informed me that until the southeast season had really set in with its torrential rains, he used to pull fish out of the trap several times each week. He went on to say that for the past few weeks the Vilala had been in flood and he hadn't caught any fish. I said, let's pull the trap out of the river, just in case there's fish in it. I pulled it out of the water this morning, he replied, and there was nothing. The trap is not even set now. You can see the top of it above the water near the wharf. The fish trap was cylindrical, about eight feet long and three feet in diameter, with a cone-shaped entrance at each end. Apparently, when placed horizontally in the water, it was an effective trap. However, the trap was now standing vertically, with about one foot protruding above the muddy waters of the Vilala. We bade farewell to the manager and again started off. After about a hundred yards... I was overwhelmingly impressed to turn back. I hesitated, and then taking my courage in both hands, asked the manager whether I could pull his trap out of the water. Yes, pull it out if you want to see how it's made. I'll give you all that is in it. Sheepishly, I asked my boys to help me pull the trap up onto the wharf by the strong ropes attached to it. Imagine our surprise to find in that trap a large barramundi, a clean fish, weighing just over 25 pounds. To be continued.
Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay. to give you tips to make life more simple. Did you ever play with a magnet at school? Wasn't it fun running around trying to find the unexpected things that your magnet would attract? You know, a couple of days ago I couldn't resist pulling out a bike and sneaking off before breakfast, imagining that when I returned I'd brag about how I went for a ride to dear husband and son who would undoubtedly both be so proud of my achievement and jealous that they hadn't come with me. It was my first ride in years. Well, I discovered that I can ride just great. Downhill. (laughs) But uphill. Oh, oh, no way. Well, the legs will just have to get stronger. No bragging yet. Now, when you ride in the bush, I bet you don't attract all the extras that I did. I discovered that morning that I was a magnet. Grandkids galore, already on bikes. And one little, not even two-year-old fellow who has strong legs followed me, but his wheels weren't quite so efficient. Like a magnet, I attracted garden produce to take home to make my rising bread at home feel like it was really in good company. Persimmons. Oh, yum. Have you ever had them? The kind you can crunch into and eat the skin? and all, without having your mouth go all puckered up and sour. No, just delicioso. I attracted crisp rhubarb to throw in a pot with some apples for breakfast. And the very first lemonades of the year. Oh, don't you love lemonades straight off the tree? These were shared so generously for us. I love lemonades and I love being a lemonade magnet. And I attracted the most munchy, crunchy cucumber you'll ever eat straight off the vine onto the plate for lunch. Chinese cabbage to dice finely and drizzle my homemade delicious tahini dressing over, along with a few tender sprouts. What a marvellous reward I had for my push bike labours and for being a magnet. Though my uphill labours were exhausting, it was fun collecting the unexpected along the way. What fun to be a magnet. Do you want two tips to ensure that you become a magnet too? First, here it is. Do something you don't usually do. And unexpected and delightful things will come your way. Try it and see. And tip number two is do it often so your muscles and mind develop happily and strong. You never know what surprises are going to accompany you home or what fun you're going to have along the way. Two simple tips. What are they? Do something you don't usually do and do it often. These are tips that will make your life more simple and happy. So that's it today from the two-tip lady who loves to share tips to help make your life more simple. (laughs) 